So we simply have the call to worship. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing him 229 229.
power of the Spirit gave us illumination of the ground in First Corinthians. So God this evening has become a couple parts. Maybe pray for more illumination, understanding, and growth in Christian life. Again, we pray. Again. Maybe see that. Psalm 90. 
65C, 65C.
thank you and praise you, God Almighty, for the beautiful songs and psalm that we sung, Lord, of your majesty and might and the glories of your care over providence and creation, God. And so, Lord, we come this evening thanking you for the care that you've shown and guided and directed in our lives that we can be here safely. We can be here in a comfortable place, Lord. We can be here in a well-lit building and hear your word and to sing praises before you without harassment and concern. Our precious Lord and Savior, we ask in particular as we are gathered as your people and praise for you, all the things that you've done for us and bring our concerns and our celebrations, God, that you have uh, kept the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in one piece and there are many faithful men within her and churches, God. We pray that they would continue to persevere and indeed multiply God Almighty and that you would help the church uh, be faithful to your word and the various and sundry ways in which she has fallen short. We pray in particular and ask God that you be with her in her efforts for foreign missions as we spread the gospel outside of America. And be even on this side, Lord, and in South America and elsewhere, my God Almighty, that we would have wisdom and understanding for the leadership, both at the uh, General Assembly level, at the Presbyterian level, and the local level, to the extent that they are involved in establishing such churches, God, and the wisdom to understand the times we find ourselves in, Lord, the limitations or the possibilities that we have with our finances and uh, the people and the talents and talent pools that we have. And we pray and ask, Lord, for good coordination in good cooperation in accordance to your word, and always in the light of truth, and submission, God. We can't always agree exactly what to do in time and space as we are finite creatures trying to use our resources in a finite way with so many more than what we can, we can actually do. And so we pray, God, that you would be with our efforts both locally and both uh, uh, Presbyterian regionally-wise, Lord, as we support uh, Murray Yamoto, and also, Lord, uh, nationally and internationally even, God, as we have organizations and churches coordinating across the denominational lines. Uh, we think of Middle East Reform Fellowship and the like as they are going out there in the Mediterranean and elsewhere across the world, Lord, other organizations, uh, to bring the good news of Jesus Christ and the call of repentance, Lord, and the call of submission to our Lord and Savior, and we pray, God, also for your church, the church across the world, the church there in Mexico, the church there in South America, the churches of Africa, the churches of Asia and Australia, Lord Almighty, that you would be with them and protect them and guide them, Lord, in their unique and difficult situations they find themselves in. We think, again, especially, Lord, for those under tyrannical rule that would shut down their worship, that would harass the families and their children, Lord, and the leadership, God, and even try to kill them. And so, God... Precious Spirit, protect them, we pray. Guide them and give them wisdom and perseverance, God, in their difficult and hard times. Give them blessings, we pray, especially, Lord, the blessings of perseverance in the midst of hardship and trials and tribulations. We pray for their multiplication. We pray, God, for good connections with them and other churches within their region and elsewhere, God, so they can be strengthened to carry on to expand the work of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we ask God and pray, especially for those who... Uh, we know a little more about and are close to in many and various sundry ways, uh, such as those in England or Australia, God. And, uh, Lord, uh, some of us don't know, but in Australia, Lord, they're trying to pass even more laws to restrict uh, changes and help in which churches can be with those in need who want to flee the uh, wicked world uh, that is out there that tells them to be something else than what they are, and they're making it illegal if they get their ways, God, and thus the churches will be under a ban in those regards, in, in regards to counseling. And so, Lord God Almighty, be with those churches in Australia, and be with them in England as well, as they have their own problems and difficulties in similar fashion, Lord. Uh, more restrictions in many ways than what we have, God. 
And so, Lord Almighty, we will not forget our brothers and sisters across the world and pray for the purification and the growth of your church and expansion of your kingdom. And we ask God, last of all, for our work situation and difficult hours some of us have and work conditions and bosses or lack of co-workers and the like, and that we would be able to persevere and have wisdom, Lord, to know what to do in our situation. We ask God for better pay, better hours, and the like, God Almighty, so that uh, we, especially who among us are, are weaker and have a harder time, Lord, would be able to get a better time. And certainly, God, to pray for uh, the proper justice of good pay for our work, Lord. And help us, God, to be good workers. Help us, Lord, we pray, and ask for your spirit to be upon us to bring conviction as we need it so that we can examine our work situation to see if perhaps, Lord, uh, we have cut corners when we should not have and the like or whatever else we need to do. And to be thankful, God, that you have given us a good work ethic. Our parents raised us this way. And we ask, God, that we would indeed do this as we are called on the job and at home as well. Whatever we are called in life, we have work to do. And may we do it heartily as unto the Lord. We pray, God, for your continued mercies upon us through Christ Jesus our Lord and that we would have a worship service, God, in which we can focus upon you and be encouraged to follow your word. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Again, God Almighty, we're grateful for the opportunity to give these tithes and offerings, Lord, and pray for your blessings upon them and the givers. In your name alone, for your glorious name's sake, amen. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are all, we, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. Let us pray. Spirit of truth and life and conviction, we ask God that we would have a better understanding of these texts, and to be encouraged, Lord, to resist any factualism that may spring up amongst us or within other churches, Lord, that which we have friends and we can encourage them to resist it, God, but rather, Lord, uh, to focus upon God Almighty who brings the growth in the church. Thankful God, certainly, for Paul is not denigrating the 
preaching ministry, Lord, he points out that they have a job, but that job means nothing unless God is behind it. So, Lord, we thank you that you have given strength and guide us, Lord, for our own growth, that you are behind it all. In your name we pray. Amen. Paul continues his rebuke of the churches at Corinth. The problems rooted there are so bad and widespread that he's spending going on three chapters so far to stop the one idea, to stop the fighting amongst each other, the factionalism, the divisions and party spirits based on ministerial personalities, preaching and baptisms. Combination of all those. Here he drills into the function of the pastors. What are they about? What can they do? And how do they relate to God in particular so that each of us can learn and they can pay attention to the proper role, where they fit in the grand scheme of things is a better way of saying it, because they have blown out of proportion their concern and their passion for their leaders and churches, uh, church leaders and pastors in particular. And so let us learn from this lesson. I don't think it's particularly a problem uh, in our churches, per se. We don't have a lot of Famous megachurch pastors in the OPC, although you can always have something like that to be sure. The first point is the ministers plant and water. Now this idea is carried through a number of verses, so it's not a nice division of one, two, three in the sermon outline. It's verses five through six, then eight through nine in this one point. I'm taking it by point. Ministers, he talks about first, who is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe as the Lord gave to each one. We know these ministers are actually, or rather Paul is actually an apostle, and so is Cephas, is there Peter, as he mentions before. Uh, Apollos, however, is not. The job of the apostle, and this is a good reminder because we'll run across this again, and in fact this text, putting Paul and Apollos on the same field, reminds us, although Paul is an apostle, to the extent that his office is the same as Apollos, to that extent we can learn from his office and what he does or does not do. The apostles, as we know, uh, has different names to describe their office, and this is an example of a different name describing the office that Paul has. Apostle just means sent out one. More properly, of course, in the, in the use of it as a formally sent out one by Jesus. That's how the Jews practice it. They would call them agents of the synagogue or agents of the leadership of the church as they sent out, for example, someone within the synagogue to go communicate to someone else in Turkey, for example. He spoke for the synagogue. He spoke for the Sanhedrin or whatnot. So in that sense, they are sent out, but in a very uh, precise and important way, in a very powerful way. When they spoke, the Sanhedrin is speaking at the time, like an ambassador. Very much like an ambassador, as Paul talks about elsewhere in Corinthians, that we are ambassadors. And he is, a, therefore, as an agent of the synagogue or the leadership, given power to execute whatever he's given power to do. And they were often, interestingly enough, sent out two by two. Jesus did that, as you recall in the Gospels. Now, these two aren't the same office, and yet he puts them on par with the same office, because the apostles though established by Christ, also have similar function to pastors. And in this case, deacons, for that is what the word is. We get the English word from the Greek. And so you can call apostles deacons, but nobody understands that to mean a capital D as an office per se. Oh, he's a, he's a deacon, that's all he is, he's just a deacon, as though that's a little thing anyways, right? No, he's more than a deacon. He's a pastor or a minister, to find translation, or servant. Minister is in, I am serving you. 
And of course, he's more than that. He's also an apostle. But he's no less than these. So he can and has elsewhere in the Bible, we read, in fact, them being called this as well, not just Paul, but the office as well. So not in a formal sense is he called a minister here, or deacon, or servant, as it's often translated. But functionally, as we know in the book of Acts, they help the widows and the poor. The apostles, they were acting like deacons in a formal sense, and that is functionally, although they were not ordained uh, publicly for that office, they could exercise that office. Just like today in the churches, the church is too small, and you don't have a deacon. Who's going to do the deacon office? One of the elders, or all the elders. Same kind of thing was going on in the book of Acts, but we know eventually that to separate that task, and so we know in Acts 5 and 6, we have the erection and creation of the deacon's office, which they are set aside so that the apostles can function like pastors and ministers with respect to preaching and prayer. So it's not a title, but a function. And the the reason why he uses this word, and not other words, in this context, I think is pretty clear when we understand the pride and the party spirit that was there at the Church of Corinth. I have Paul, (laughs) right? He's the last great apostle. He was under Gamaliel. He's a great thinker. He writes deep thoughts. Well, I have Apollos. He's a great orator. He's a wonderful preacher. And Paul is saying, no, they're all servants. One's not better than another. They're under God. That's the emphasis here, right? One says, I'm a Paul. Another, I'm Apollos. Are you not carnal? Verse 4. Who then is Paul? What are they? They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Not each one of those who believe, but each officer in the church. And that's what he's going to emphasize in these next verses. He says that a number of times. One, he who plants is one, and he who waters is yet another one. Verse 8, and each one will receive his own reward. They're all servants under God. They each have their different roles in God's kingdom. Why are you exalting one role over another? And so, servant is a proper word here. So he's explaining their role more broadly, that they are servants doing the Lord's bidding in God's household. Pay attention, the church of Corinth is what he's saying. Pay attention, this is what they really are, nothing more and nothing less. In other words, stop bragging about your pastors when they are but servants, even slaves of God. They are not appointed to be superstars, but to be workers under his Glory and his might and power, as we're going to read in the next few verses. Now, he also says here, through whom you believed. Again, what you often find in the Bible is a lot of theology packed in these sentences and mentioned in passing, because that's not the point here in these verses is to emphasize, well, God uses ministers to bring people to heaven. Yes, that's true. That's what he's saying here. Through whom you believed. But he just says it in passing. It's just part of an argument for a greater purpose. But it doesn't mean we can't learn from it, because God so wrote it such that we can understand and get much truth out of the Bible. And so the truth here is that God has given conduits of grace in the church. We talk about means of grace or instruments of mercy that God has given us that we may grow as Christians in our sanctification. And pastors are one of those. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Dr. Coppice, and whoever else in our lives. Men with feet of clay, to be sure. Servants in God's household, not superstars. But God uses them as he 
has so gifted them. And thus belief, belief in the gospel, trust in Jesus Christ to save them, as we saw in chapter 2, that the Holy Spirit's job, one of its main functions, that he has exercised in our lives to open our eyes to the gospel truth. And that belief often comes through pastors and preachers. In other words, trusting in Jesus doesn't occur in a vacuum. It seems to be the teaching, unfortunately, in, in many places in America, implicitly or explicitly, that I don't need the church, I don't need pastors, I probably don't even need the Bible. I just need God and me and my religion. And I feel good about it, and thus something must have happened because now I'm a Christian. But God tells us he has so ordered things in the church, just like the rest of life, where providence is what? A collection of causes and effects, means and instruments, and tools and ways of doing things to accomplish an end, like eating and working and sleeping and having good friendship and the like. And the same in the Christian life and sanctification. It doesn't happen by being a spiritual couch potato. You just sit there and somehow you grow. But you have to use the instruments God has given us, and one of those are the pastors through whom. That's the, the, the description here. But ministers through whom you believed. Now, of course, you can believe without a minister by reading the Bible through prayer or by friends and whatnot. But certainly God does use them, as he highlights here. We talk about God being the source of salvation, and that is certainly true. But what does that mean? Does it exclude God using people to bring us to salvation? Of course not. Some people seem to think that downplaying pastors in the church is the way to go, but that's not the case at all. This is an instrumental means. Although that's not the best term to use, because the instrumental means is usually, in systematic theology, used those words to describe faith itself. The instrumental cause of salvation is faith, not the material cause or the proper ground, which is the person and work of Christ, etc., etc. So something like perhaps circumstantial means. I don't know what other word to use, but it's obviously in the context of them preaching, they heard the truth and believed. It's a means. I don't know what else to describe it. Like a shepherd that directs the flock to Jesus and to the food in the pasture, and so pastors direct the eyes of faith to heaven above. So in that sense, you could say they're the cause of someone's salvation, but not in any meaningful way like you could praise and honor them, although apparently they were. <laughs> right? This is, this is my pastor. He's a great guy. I believe that I was baptized because of him. And of course, Paul's like, well, sure, but they're servants in God's household. Don't exalt them higher than they ought to be. Don't give them more credit than you should. For when one says, I'm a Paul, another, I'm a Paulist, are you not carnal? Wrong, wrong, wrong. Don't do that. Paul explains that Paul and all them and everyone else, they should not glory in, but glory in God because they're just simply servants. They're instruments in God's kingdom. These godly ministers, in other words, are not in it for themselves. The Lord gave. So we're still on verse 5. <laughs> As the Lord gave to each one. Each minister has the ability to minister and preach Christ in various ascending degrees in different ways and different abilities. And God appointed them and directs them as he wills. Paul one way, Apollos another. As he says, I planted, Apollos watered. We have different roles, different strengths, different opportunities in God's kingdom. And that shouldn't be used as an excuse for factionalism within the church. 
And so they should boast in their pastors that way. The pastor's plan, verses 6, 8, and 9, because it comes up again in 8 and 9. Um, and 7, however, highlights, of course, God Almighty, although it's there. He's emphasizing their role under God, as we saw, their servants. And here, there are different roles in particular. He planted, Apollos apparently comes later, as we know. The churches of Corinth were established by Paul. Apollos apparently came later and helped them grow more. He watered. He did other work there. But whether planting or watering, it's all of God. God gives the increase and the growth and the maturation of the churches. And I think the implication through all these verses, he doesn't say it, but don't glory in them. Glory in God. To be God-centered in the proper way. Pastors are his fellow laborers. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. And so here, he reminds them that their function as apostle or pastor like Apollos is as an instrument, as a fellow worker. It's a very amazing turn of phrase there. How can you be a fellow worker with God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth? And yet he's describing their office that way, an important office, in other words, he's highlighting, and their function with each other and towards God. Although not on par with God, obviously, but God bringing them along in his grace and mercy and providence and working through them such that you here, Corinthians, are able to read this letter and get something out of it. Because God used them, and it's God. It's all about God. Thus, there's no boasting in the preachers. In fact, the church of Corinth is God's church and not any pastor's church because you are God's field, you are God's building. You're not Paul's building. You're not Apollos' field. Uh, it's not wrong to say, because as we say it for shorthand, although sometimes in my mind I kind of hesitate, well, my church is over here around the corner. Now, it's obviously not helpful to say, well, God's church is around the corner. What are you talking about? Everyone thinks their church is God's church. It's not helpful. So it's just a description. But imagine taking that to the nth degree. That's my church. Look what I've done. Look what my hands have wrought. And if the pastors were arrogant like that, he's shutting them off at the knees. But what we see here is not the pastors as much. He keeps pointing out they're identifying with the pastors, saying, look how great I am. I have this super pastor who created this super church, and I'm part of it. What about you? No, a thousand times no. It's God's church. It's God's field. It's God's building. And this implies, of course, the limits of the pastors. They have a role. They're there to water. They're there to plant. But they can do nothing else. They cannot bring the increase. The church of Corinth, the Christians today, should not expect more out of a pastor than what God has given them. They can plant, they can water, or they can even weed the ground and kill as many heresies as possible. But it is God who gives the increase, we read Several times, I plant, Apollos waters, but God gave the increase, verse 6, verse 7, so that neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. Don't brag about that, that's not a big deal. It's God who gives the increase, verse 7. It is not the eloquence, it's not the cleverness, it's not the charisma that affects change per se, although it may accompany change. Don't get the two confused. But it's the Lord of Harvest who brings about the growth. We should not ask more from the pastors than what God has given them. They were doing something along those lines in terms of bragging. Bragging more than what was deserved 
if I can use that phrase. Because they didn't do anything, it was God. Every pastor is accountable. This is the theme he picks up here and he'll unpack in the next few verses, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, and then applies it to his audience as a body or as individuals as well, accountability before God. After reminding them, verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That is, each one is their own, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Not one is united together, but each one is their own person. And thus every pastor is accountable. They are humble servants of God who give, who gave them their office. And now he explains that Paul and Apollos and all others must give account to God. The reward is from heaven, not from men, not from the boasting of the Corinthians or the adulation of the Christians there or the praise of star-struck Christians in the churches today. The reward and accountability that they'll end up with is in verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder. It is to God and God alone we should glorify in and the rewards he gives us. Second point, not just the pastor's plant and water, but God grows and multiplies. Verses 6 and 7 in particular, as I read before. You have Paul and Apollos and anyone else involved in the ministry. They do some work. They do some teaching. They do some instruction. They do some exhortation. They do some counseling. They bring the word of God to bear upon your life, but it is God who brings the increase, who brings the growth who brings the maturation. And God should therefore be glorified. We are nothing, God is also, then neither is he who plants is anything, nor he who waters. Obviously he's not saying literally anything, but to emphasize the fact that at the end of the day, they can't do anything without God. To glory in the pastors and their preaching and those who baptize them is to go beyond what they should do, which is glorifying God who gave the pastor, the ability to baptize and to preach and to bring you as an instrument to his cross. They should be boasting in God's power, in other words. God gives the increase. It's another way of writing God's sovereign might and power is behind it all. Any good that happens is from God's hand among his people. Not just pastors, but anything that we do is dependent upon God's might and power. You can plant and you can water all you want, but if God does not give the increase, nothing will happen. So let's unpack that a little bit. God uses instruments. Verse 6, I planted Paulus water, but God gave the instrument. In fact, we know that as the Lord gave to each one, he who plants in each one of us is accountable before God. We are his fellow workers. He has given us this job and responsibility. In fact, might and power is implied behind here. God's the primary cause, to use a formal language, Obviously, Paul is not denigrating preaching and saying, well, since God's given the increase and God's behind it all, why bother planting? Why bother watering? What's the point? He assumes there's a point, that there is a responsibility, the fact that they can do it, because, again, God is behind it. He writes that they do these things, but, however, nothing comes of it unless God is behind it. And that's what we call the primary cause of anything in life, that you're able to be here this evening. It's because of God. That your car works. That you can breathe. And you're thinking clearly right now, I hope. It's because of God. That's the primary cause. But he uses secondary causes, as we know. And although that word isn't in the Bible anymore than Trinity is, the idea clearly is there. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Psalm 127. You have to defend the city. You have to build a house. But if God's not behind it, 
it will come to naught. It will fall apart in your hands like sand in the ocean. That's the idea. God works in and with and through means of providence, of history, everyday things in life, including pastors. They're nothing special. They're servants like you are, although with a different job in the church of God. Pastors water and plant, but the watering could fail, and the planting could end up on hard ground, and the water washes off. Right, the parable of the seeds that Jesus gives us. And yet that hard ground and that seed only succeed, that is, the seed going into the hard ground in spite of the hard ground is when God, through the Holy Spirit, softens and breaks up that hard soil. When God's behind it, the planting will succeed. It will grow. But that's not our call. Not at all. Pastors are dependent upon God. They are nothing. God is all. He is special. I may plant, I may water. Dr. Kopp has planted this church, humanly speaking. Paul didn't say, you know how pious I am? God planted this church at Corinth. You know, people do that, unfortunately. It's a, kind of an inverse pride. I always talk about God. Well, no, he, plant, he was involved in that. He says, I'm a, co, I'm a fellow worker with God, verse 9. He says, I planted because secondary causes, what we do is a real, is meaningful. But it doesn't come to fruition without God. That's his point. God's behind it all. The Corinthians, in other words, the Christians at Corinth should stop attributing power to the pastors that's not theirs. All that watering and planting and weeding means nothing without God. God grows his church. There's an old saying about that. You've heard it before. Duty is ours. Results is God's. And that's what he's emphasizing here. Because he says in verse 8, He who plants and waters is one, each will receive his own reward. They have a responsibility. But God, verse 6, but God, verse 7, gives the increase. The results are his. And so the pastors have a humble responsibility to preach and teach and instruct the people of God as best they can. And we ought to support them and not laud over them in excessive manner uh, more than is necessary. God grows his church. We each have a duty. And even preachers have a duty. And you and your family and family leaders and wives and the like have a duty. You must never lose sight of the fact of your duty, to be sure, but to know that God is behind it. And he gives you the increase in the ability to exercise and get things done in your life. Praise be to his name. Let us avoid factionalism. If you see it anywhere else, in our midst, in our denomination and the like, in pride, and do our duty instead and teach or provide for our home home and family, or whatever we're called to do, while depending upon God's grace and mercy and power that we may grow thereby. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this word of encouragement where he puts them in their place again, that they put too much glory in the men. Yes, it is an honor that Paul planted the church there, and it is an honor that Apollos watered, and the people uh, were refreshed by his preaching, apparently, God. And they can rejoice to that extent. But they did more than that and became proudful, Lord, in their lives and brought division within the church. And Paul says, no, they ought to put down all such divisions in glorifying God who gives the increase. In your name we pray, God, that we would continue to glorify you and pray for more growth in our life and our church, both materially and above all spiritually. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing hymn 237. 237.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen. Amen.